All right. I, I love that upbeat music. It kind of thaws you out on a cold day. So That's just what we need. Boy, I tell you what. God is good to us today, and we're so thankful to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, I think many of you know me. My name is uh, uh, Ron Jones. I'm pastor over at Liberty. And uh, once again, it is a pleasure to be worshiping with all of you this morning. And my prayer is that we'll just worship the Lord in spirit and truth. So uh, my prayer is that his grace and peace would be on all of us this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to go ahead and turn over to the book of Second Chronicles in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles, chapter number 12, and we'll be looking at the first few verses there in Second Chronicles, chapter 12. You know, a long time ago, back in the Middle Ages in the 15th and 16th century, there was uh, a group of people called alchemists. And what they wanted to do was to find some magic elixir, some potion or, or something that you could use that you could change lead or brass or any sort of base metal into gold. And that was a consuming thing. They were looking for an elixir of life. They were looking for a philosophy, what they called the spiritual ennoblement. Spent a lot of time trying to find a way to turn lead into gold. Well, that's something really man can't do this morning. Except in 1980, scientists at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory in California were finally successful in turning some lead into gold. And the way they did it, they took one of those enormous uh, particle accelerators. These things are huge, enormous machines and blasted tons of energy at this little bitty sample of lead and actually managed to convert about a dozen atoms of lead into gold. But before you get all excited about that, the cost of doing that was about one quadrillion dollars per ounce. <laughs> something the government might decide would be something worth doing, but certainly not cost effective. So I don't have any sort of elixir this morning that's going to turn lead into gold or, or bronze into gold. But I could offer you something. It is very available to you. And this is something that does the opposite. It's something that takes gold and turns it into bronze. It's something that takes cash and turns it into trash. It's something that takes wisdom and turns it into stupidity. It's something that, that takes your liberty and your freedom and turns it into oppression. Any takers? No. I don't think any of us want something like that, do we? But the Bible does tell us that there is this ingredient that's doing exactly that. And it's working in your lives today if you don't know Christ as your Savior. Because there is this thing called sin. And it takes everything that is valuable, everything that is worthwhile, and just turns it into junk. And this scripture shows us this morning exactly how that works. So if you're willing and able to stand... Let's uh, begin reading in God's Word, Second Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 1. 
When the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong, he and all Israel with him forsook the law of the Lord. And it came about in King Rehoboam's fifth year, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen. And the people who came with him from Egypt were without number, the Lubim, the Sukkim, and the Ethiopians. He captured the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam, and the princes of Judah who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, so I also have forsaken you to Shishak. So the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, They have humbled themselves. So I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some measure of deliverance and my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the means of Shishak, but they will become his slaves so that they may learn the difference between my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's palace. He took everything. He even took the golden shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made shields of bronze in their place and committed them to the care of the commanders of the guard who guarded the door of the king's house. As often as the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards came and carried them and brought them back into the guard's room. And when he humbled himself, the anger of the Lord turned away from him so as not to destroy him completely, and also conditions were good in Judah. Let's pray. Father, Lord in heaven, we so thank you this morning, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray, dear God, that you would be upon this congregation. Lord, that you would open our ears to hear your word and our hearts to receive it. And Father, that you would just bless me and sanctify me, that I would preach your appointed word at this time, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. So nobody wants this elixir that I have this morning called sin. But I want to paint a picture of what it did in Israel. And the first part of this picture that I want you to see is one of prosperity. It's where things started. Now if you look in verse 1 of chapter 12, just the first few words... When the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong. I wish we could stop the story right there. I wish we could stop it and say, well, God has brought Israel to such a great place. And now they are the best they'll ever be. And they are at this position of strength. But those few words are like the top of the uh, at the top of the amusement ride, the top of the roller coaster, because it's only going downhill from here. I hope all of you uh, have some sort of daily Bible reading that you do. 
Here it's January, a good time of year to start that. I do one that goes straight through the Bible, and every year I think the same thing. Sometimes I wish it could be stopped at Genesis chapter 2, because the first two chapters of Genesis are wonderful. God creates the heavens and the earth and all of their beauty, and he takes man and he sets them in the Garden of Eden, a perfect paradise. And everything is wonderful and everything is good. But then we start chapter 3 and the old devil enters the picture. And then you got the sin in the equation all the way from Genesis chapter 3. And you don't get rid of sin until at the end of Revelation when it's all conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Prosperity. And I think that we can see that they were in a place of prosperity at that time when Rehoboam came to power. He was the son of Solomon, the wisest of the kings, the one that God appeared to and said, Solomon, name what you want. I'm giving you a blank check, Solomon. What do you want me to give you? And Solomon said, well, Lord, I want you to give me wisdom. And Solomon was granted. But then his son Rehoboam came along. And before that, even Solomon wandered into the path of foolishness. But at their high point, Solomon's empire stretched from the Euphrates River all the way through the Holy Land down to the border of Egypt. He had all kinds of wealth. In one place it says, In one year, Solomon received 666 talents of gold, and that amounted to like 25 tons. He was crazy rich. They were so rich that all his cups and his plates were made out of gold. You come to my house and half of them are plastic. (laughs) But Solomon was rich. Silver was as common as stone. That's how rich they were. They had that much prosperity. And one of the things he did was he had 200 large and 300 small ceremonial shields. These weren't for the soldiers to carry. These were for decoration and they were hung up there in the palace. Solid gold shields just to look at and to attest to God's prosperity that he had granted Their religion was at a high point. Solomon had built the temple. The place where out of all the tribes of Israel, God had said, I am going to put my name here. And they were at such a high point. Just like man was in the Garden of Eden. A perfect relationship with God created in God's image. But again, after chapter 2 in Genesis, it all came downhill. So that's the prosperity. It doesn't get us very far. First few words of verse 1. So what's the problem that cranks up in verse 2? Now this is the problem. Well, actually at the end of verse three, uh, 1, he said, He and all Israel with him forsook the law of the Lord. They forsook the law of the Lord. And church, that is a disaster. Look across this nation today and what do you see? 
Have we not as a nation forsaken the law of the Lord? Look in our churches that are ailing and struggling because in order to blend in, we have become too much like the world. Have we not forsaken the law of the Lord? And nothing good is going to come out of that. So Pharaoh Shishak of Egypt invaded and all of those fortified cities that Solomon had taken years to build up were all lost. And all the people now are huddled in Jerusalem and the entire treasury gets pillaged. And the reason was because they forsook the law of the Lord. It's military and archaeologists, historians, and all those who study these sorts of things, well, they might say, well, you know, Egypt was a rising power at this time, and, and they give you all sorts of socioeconomic reasons why our gold is getting turned into brass, so to speak, and where it seems like our best days are behind us. But I'm telling you, church, don't ignore what sin is doing because that is the root cause. When David, King David, was old and he was passing the torch to his son, King Solomon, you know, David knew that of all the advice that he could give Solomon, all the things that he could tell him, he might could have explained the best way to manage the, the 12 tribes, the best way to engage with trade with the nations, the, the, the best method for shoring up the country's defense. He might could have done all of that. But instead, in 1 Chronicles 28 and 9, he gave him the most important father-to-son advice he could, and that was, as for you, my son Solomon... Know the God of your father and serve him wholeheartedly and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Have we forsaken God? Have we abandoned him in favor of all of the pleasures of this world. Because let me tell you what happens when you make that transaction. Then you start a, a process of making some trade-offs. And you're trading one thing for another. But let me tell you, church, what you're trading that you get when you bargain with sin is a lot, lot worse than the good that God wants to give you. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Sin demands a penalty, and it's going to give you a bad trade every time. What happened to Israel? The first thing that happened is when you forsake God, you trade your wisdom for foolishness. Quick quiz. What does the Bible say is the beginning of wisdom? Anybody? What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord. Absolutely right. So when you forsake God, you abandon the fountain of wisdom. Now Solomon was known for his wisdom, but towards the end of his life, he did some pretty silly things. And his son Rehoboam, boy, he really was a study in foolishness. 
Y'all may remember what happened. At the time of Solomon, all the 12 tribes were united. The country was strong. Then Rehoboam ascends to the throne and the, the tribes to the north, the 10 tribes, they all sent a delegation. And they said, hey, look, Rehoboam, you know, things were pretty uh, strict under your father. He taxed us to no end all of his building projects and we had a lot of labors. Can you, can you just back off just a little bit? Can you make our burden just a little bit easier? So Rehoboam says, give me a few days. I'll get back with you guys. So he went to the old hands who had stood with his father, the advisors, and he said, well, what do y'all think? And the advisor said, well, Rehoboam, if you really want the people to serve you and win their hearts, then give a little ground here. Be reasonable with them. He said, okay. So then he turned to his cohorts who had grown up with the palace, not knowing any restraints, had ran wild together. He said, what do you guys think? And we're like, oh man, you got to be tough on this group. You can't give any ground. Tell them that, well, daddy may have uh, whipped you with whips, but I'm going to whip you with scorpions. He came back with that rough answer and, oh man, they were not, they were not happy. They said, all right. We're out of here. And the nation was divided. But still, he was in a pretty strong place relative to that error. But then he goes and he forsakes the fountain of all wisdom. He turns against God. When you turn against God, you turn against wisdom. You're not going to prosper. Now, the devil offers substitutes. He offers the quick and easy pleasures of this world. He offers things that might make you feel good. He offers shortcuts that might let you get ahead that are kind of sketchy. But everything that the devil offers is a lie. And that's not the end of the trading. Not only do you trade wisdom for foolishness, but you trade your freedom for slavery. Now, Israel was a proud nation, and they were a military powerhouse under David and Solomon. But here, the nation of Egypt just comes up and just takes them over. Now, imagine the humiliation, because you remember the Exodus. What nation did Moses lead the Israelites out of? What nation did they triumph over as they marched there to the Red Sea? It was Egypt, and now Egypt has got them again. Because when we trade God away, we trade freedom for slavery. And that church is a scriptural truth. Because when you decide you want to serve sin, you can't just say, hey, this is something I'm going to do for a little while because it feels good, it gets me ahead. And you don't see that chain that's been attached to you. Romans 6 and 15 says, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death 
or of obedience resulting in righteousness. We don't need to trade our gold in and get brass in return. We don't need to turn our freedom in for slavery to sin. The trading continues and now we're trading gold for bronze. What if you met one of your friends and they handed you a hundred dollar bill and they said, would you give me a, a five and a ten for this? Well, that'd be a good deal for you, but that wouldn't be a good deal for them. No, what am I going to do that for? Oh, I want to take something valuable and get something less valuable in return. But that's just what happened. The shields that were their pride there, solid gold. The Pharaoh comes in with his army, their first military encounter since the Exodus days now, and steals them blind. So what do they do? They don't have gold to put up, but they find something else shiny. They put bronze shields in their place. And then after they worship, they take them down. And I think that might be because they didn't want anybody to look at them too close. And say, oh, what happened here? But the temple, the temple was also, the treasures in the temple were taken too. And you see what happens, church, when we forsake God, all the comforts, you know, we might be worried about the shields of gold, but what about the things of God? What about the treasure of the presence of the Spirit of God with us? What about the unestimable worth of being in God's will? When we trade that away, when we sell out to sin, then we are so much worse off. Isaiah 1 and 22, the prophet Isaiah was addressing the sin that had plagued the nation of Israel. And God told them, your silver has become dross. Ezekiel in 20, uh, chapter 22 and verse 17, through the prophet Ezekiel, God says, the whole house of Israel has become dross to me. And what is dross? It is, the, it is when you refine silver. It is in nature you find the veins of silver, but there's going to be all kinds of junk mixed in with it. A little bit of tin, some lead, other metals that you don't want. And when you boil it all down, the leftover, the dross, is what you throw away. And the Lord's saying, you've all become scrap. You've all traded the good for the, for the bad. The trading continues. They had also traded their king. Here's sort of a trick question for y'all. Who was the best king of Israel that they ever had? David was a good king. Aha, uh -huh, somebody, somebody saw the answer. Remember, God, God was their king, right, to begin with. He said, I am your leader. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, years before all this, the Israelites came to Samuel, who was the last of the great judges. They said, look here, Samuel. You're good and all, but we want to be like everybody else. We want to have a king. 
Give us a king. Why do you want a king? Well, a king can fight our battles for us. A king can raise an army and we don't have to worry about that. Are you sure you want to trade depending on God for some human king? Oh, we never do that today. What do you think is going on in Washington? One political party comes and they're the answer to everything. Oh, and then the next politician comes along. No, trust in me. And I'll tell you a secret. They'll all let you down. Because when we trade following the one true God to follow after man, we're making a bad trade, folks. God told Samuel, he said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They rejected me. When we forsake God, when we pay more attention to what this world has to offer, when we don't care about God except maybe for an hour on Sunday if then, when we don't let the Lord enter our daily lives, when we're not bought by the blood of the Lamb, when we're not devoted to serving Him, and we've forsaken Him. Well, I don't want to leave things just there. They had prosperity they started with, just like the human race started in prosperity and, and spiritual blessing in the garden. Sin came in. That's the problem. Ruined everything. But I'm going to tell you this morning, there is a prescription to fix the problem. Well, how can we fix it? Well, for a clue, look in verse 6. Now, at this point, they've been humiliated. Their cities have been captured. They're locked up in Jerusalem. Their wealth has been plundered. And finally, finally, the people say, so the princes of, uh, verse 5 rather, you have forsaken me, so I've turned you over to the she-sex. So the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, the Lord is righteous. Beginning of wisdom, fear of the Lord. And they finally remembered, oh, we have goofed up. We've turned against God. And then in verse 7, when the Lord saw they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to um, Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them. Is there a consequence to sin? Yes, there is. And I'll tell you, even when you you mess up and you repent, you may still have a consequence to pay. And the people did. The Lord needed to teach them something. So he said, I'm going to teach you the difference in who rules over you. If you don't want me to rule over you, I'll let a tyrant rule over you. Then tell me who's better. But still, his saving grace preserved a remnant, preserved the nation of Judah kept the line of King David alive that would culminate in the birth of Christ, the Messiah. So what do we need to do this morning? If we've been trading the gold God gives us for the brass of sin in this world, well, we need to stop trading with the devil, don't we? We need to say, hey, you know what? Uh, 
I'm not going to do this anymore. We need to repent and turn to God. Well, remember when I first started, I said that a long time ago, the alchemists were trying to figure out, well, how do you turn lead into gold? And I said, you know, man hasn't discovered a way to do that. But let me tell you something, folks. Our God is so powerful, he can reverse the process. He can take the sin and gross in your life. He can take the corruption, the mistakes you've made. He can begin to refine you this morning. He can turn you into the image of himself. And that is through the power of God. Because, let me tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ knows a thing or two about refining. If you look toward the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, in chapter 3, it talks about the messenger that God was going to send who would come and stand in the temple. He's talking about the coming of the Messiah. And he said this, For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. And he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Church, God is a refiner. And that is the the power of the blood of Jesus this morning. I can't refine myself. I can't even keep a commitment to go on a diet. Oh, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, we say. How long does that last? Not long. We go back to our same old mistakes. We we go back to our same old habits. Well, that's because, church, it's not in us to change ourselves for better. We need a higher power to make this work. That's what Jesus does. He says, behold, I make all things new. That's why he called it being born again. You want to turn over a new page? How about a whole new life? How about being born into the family of God? How about becoming one with Him this morning? How about letting Him refine you? And that's what He's trying to do. If you're a child of God this morning, you're in the refiner's fire. He's trying to burn away the dross. We keep throwing it back in. He's trying to burn it out. And what is He doing? He's trying to make in us Christ in you the hope of glory. That's what he's trying to do. And I'll give you one one final observation about this. Don't turn your gold into brass. And I'll tell you why. Because the refiner's fire is coming. And church, that fire is going to do two things. It's going to do two things. The first thing it's going to do is it's going to burn the wicked. The Bible talks of the fervent heat and the destruction of the world by fire. The refiner's fire is coming. You hope there's something worthwhile in you? Do you think there might be? Church, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, there's not a single thing in you that's going to Back in the days of Daniel, when the three Hebrew youths were cast into the fiery furnace, why did they survive? 
Jesus. God was in there with him. When King Nebuchadnezzar came to the grade of that furnace and looked in, he said, oh, wait a minute, guys, help me count here. I thought we threw in three. I see four. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. We're not going to get through the fires of our trials without Jesus in our lives. I hope this morning that every one of you can say, well, by the grace of God, I have accepted Jesus as my Savior. I have been born again. If you haven't made that choice this morning, by all means, come to the refiner's fire this, this morning. Because that's what hell is. It's just a fire that's going to keep burning and keep burning. But there's no silver. There's only junk to be burned up in an eternal fire. I also have a challenge for all of us. If you're a child of God, this message applies to you also. The refiner's fire. Because 1 Corinthians 3 and 12 talks about our church. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And Paul was saying, hey guys, we're building on this foundation. Everything you do to serve God, you're building something on that foundation. Did you know that? What are you building? Well, Paul said you might be building gold. Silver, precious stones. And what's that? Those are works, the fruit of the Spirit that comes from a heart of love, not trying to get praise, not trying to get a pat on the back, not, not trying to do something so people will notice you, but working to build up the church as the Spirit of God has given you a talent to use. We all have it. But some of us are using cheaper ingredients to build with. You might think you're doing something great. Well, I'm teaching a Sunday school class. Hey, look at me, look at me. But when we do something, and it's not in the spirit of love and devotion to Christ, Paul says, we're just, we're just banging symbols together. We're just making a racket. What have we built this morning? The refiner's fire. That same fire can be the Holy Spirit working in you. Now, I guarantee you, if you felt the refiner's fire before, if God's trying to get rid of something in your life, it's probably something you want to hang on to. But the Lord says, no. It's not silver. It's not gold. I don't want that in you. But but I like this. Nobody knows about it. Uh-uh. It's got to go. But what is the end of the process? That is to be refined, to be purified. The Lord wants to purify His church. That's us. So we are white and spotless without any, without any kind of spot or wrinkle or anything like that. He is wanting to, he was wanting to cleanse us. He's wanting us to make us right with him. Hallelujah and thank God for the fire. If you know him. If you don't know him this morning, we'll have a time of invitation. Just confess your sins to him.
Open your heart, receive his word. And let him lead you this morning.